Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and with me I have Mike Morandi and Dave Glenn. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> I come can't on. Do it. Why can't we do Hello, it? gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is the podcast where we talk about old or classic movies. Uh, Dave said I should make a distinction because they're not all technically classics, but old movies and we review them from a modern cinematic context to see if they hold up, basically. When you watch them, you can check us out on the web at reviewedpodcast.com um, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. So that's how you can uh, find us. So basically today we are talking about The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a movie starring Matt Damon and uh, Jude others. Law and pretty much everyone who's now the biggest star in the world. Yeah. And the movie, um, just so I can get the plot out of the way, because Dave also chastises me on this, so I should do this as well. Good, the call. Plot, <laughs> Good call. The plot of the movie is in the late 1950s New York, a young man, Tom Ripley, played by Matt Damon, is sent to Italy to retrieve a rich and spoiled millionaire playboy, played by Jude Law. And uh, basically, when that errand fails, he kind of becomes obsessed with the uh, Jude Law character and uh, calls into questions about his own, like, whether he's not actually a sociopath and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of devolves into this thriller about identity and who you choose to be and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's kind of a hard movie to sum up in a one line because there's a lot of stuff packed in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But this movie came out in 1999, which um, seems like an eternity to go. I'm pretty uh, sure this is your idea to to, uh, do this movie. I'm curious what... Or is it your idea? No, it, no. I think we were talking about Jude Law. Oh, Jude Law. Okay. The Road to Perdition podcast. Yeah. That's a great film. Let's check it okay. out. Yeah. It was so came up when we talked about Road to Perdition with yeah. Jude Law. Okay. And uh, let me talk about my familiarity with this movie because it's a great story. So in 1999, <laughs> this movie is rated R, as you know, and I am not old enough to see an R-rated movie by myself in 1999. So I did the old buy ticket for other movie and watched this one instead. Ah. So I actually saw this movie in the theaters um, when it came <laughs> what, out. What did you pay for to get you know what? I have no idea. So why, why was this movie w- worth the risk for you? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was really into um, thrillers about identity. and like the, I was really into The Twilight Zone uh-huh. as a kid. And for some reason, the trailer, I thought this was like a Twilight Zone episode because I thought it was about a guy who becomes another person. Ah. And like, like it was like, had like a science fiction bent. Okay. That's not what this movie is at I all. Mean, I no. mean, among uh, other things, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I remember watching it. And I, I, I don't know how old I was 13 at the time. I remember not getting it at all. Like I hadn't, like I really did not understand this movie. And I'm, uh, now that it's back on Netflix Instant, so if you guys want to check it out, our viewers or listeners, you can do so immediately, which is pretty cool. Stop the podcast now and go check it out. <laughs> right. Because I mean, we, we're going to be talking about it for about an hour. We so. assume that you've seen this movie if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> we're going to spoil the hell out of it. Um, and uh, I'm really glad I got a chance to watch it again because I think this movie's really solid, really good. And I also feel like not a lot of people know about it, remember it, or talk about it. Like I feel like it just kind of fell into the sea of oblivion. Um, it's directed by Anthony, um, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Mangella. Mangella. And he's since passed away but he's known for doing a lot of Oscar-nominated fare like Cold Mountain and The English Patient. Both movies I'm not fans of. I don't love The English Patient uh, at all. So um, in watching the movies that he has directed, this is probably my favorite work he's done right. or did. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it's just a movie I feel like that is kind of lost in the channels of time and just because of how young everyone looks. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Damon looks so young in this he movie. He looks like he's 12 years old. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman looks thin the same in this movie. Age in <laughs> <laughs> he does not age well. But um, I'm going to let you guys, you know, say your thoughts. But in general, I was just really kind of blown away by this movie. I really, really enjoyed watching it. And I'd suggest. Um, if you are not familiar with this movie, checking it out because I feel like um, a lot of people just don't think about it. But this like, was your first time seeing it in what, so almost like 15, since 16 I was thir- years? This is my first time seeing it since okay. I was 13. Okay. So wow. a lot of time has passed. So Mike, okay. what did what did you think about the talented Mr. Ripley? I'm going to differ. I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't in love with it. I, I think it had some good concepts. I think it had some good character studies. I think they tried to do too much with it over the course of the, it felt so long to me. And like I don't know, at the end of it, I just felt like, like what, what was the message? What was the the story? What was the story for me? Like I wasn't sure what. Was it about Tom Ripley's con artist ways? Was it about him trying to figure out who he was? Like I'm sure it's about everything, but I feel like with a movie, you want to you want to boil it down to one major, major story and kind of go from there. I think there was some characterization problems, like. I, I had actually watched it with a friend. We were talking about it afterward, and we weren't sure. Like, was he so at the beginning of the movie? We see him as a piano player, right? And he kind of, I was under the impression at the beginning of the movie he was this innocent kid, like wanted to see the world, got an opportunity to do it, took the opportunity, and then got caught up in this thing. But then all of a sudden, he was a really good con artist. Like, I think he actually was a con artist well before he he got this offer. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree but, entirely. But I felt like he didn't have, and maybe this is just him playing off. He's trying to be um, like uh, I'm innocent. I'm, I don't know what I'm. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, but he didn't have the. I don't think he carried himself. Maybe this is a you know uh, Matt Damon's fault with the, the portrayal, but I don't think he carried himself the way a con artist would up until that point. I feel like he didn't quite. I don't know. Maybe he was too young. We'll, we'll talk about it later. I guess. No, there's but a like, lot to unpack in this yeah. movie. Uh, my question would be: Off the top of your head, can you think of a, of a con artist kind of movie or performance or on TV or anything that where you're like, yeah, that's how it should be played? No, Sawyer no. from Lost. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I can't like place one in particular. I just felt like I'm like I don't know. He didn't seem in control. I feel like he didn't seem until the end of the movie. I think the, the second half, um, and even just things like about the way he reveals certain information, just felt strange. And like there were some weird parts, and I just didn't think it, it worked. There were some things I think did work. Uh, did work. I mean, I think there was interesting. His character was interesting to me. I think like him trying to figure out who he was, um, trying to figure out which parts of the scheme were genuine or not. Like if he was trying to turn like. Okay, so some of it was was put on, and some of it was real. I think he actually he was in love with Jude Law. I think he was in love with the other guy, um, uh, Peter. Was his name? I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think there were some certain aspects, and we'll, I don't want to I don't want to talk about myself to death right now. But uh, I think. Well, that's, let's let Dave yeah, give yeah, his yeah, quick Dave. thoughts, and we'll kind of start unpacking a lot. Because I I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. I think the movie mm. is. Um, there's a lot of dichotomy going on with Matt Damon because at times he's incredibly slick, and at times. It, he's kind of going with the flow and doesn't really know what he's doing, and I think that's I think that's really interesting because it's almost like he's a flawed con man because he's he lets his emotions get in the way at certain yeah, times, yeah, okay. which I think is a more complex portrayal than we're used to mm-hmm. because the typical notion of the con man is that he's always in control and he always knows the end scheme. It's the Ocean's Eleven thing, like right, they're right, never right. really in trouble, and that's like you know because Danny Ocean always knows how the heist is going to go off, and I think that's something that's kind of interesting that this movie examines. But Dave, why don't you quickly let me know what you're thinking? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I saw this movie in theaters. I didn't need a uh, 
a ticket for another movie at the time. I was uh um, already fifty years old at that point. Dave is so seventy five years old. <laughs> I was sixty three when this movie came out. And no, I mean I was I was out of college right out of college at, at this point and uh I had seen The English Patient, and I was a fan, although it, it had at that point been kind of maligned because of an episode of Seinfeld where Elaine Bennis kind of you know says, oh, just end and die already, and, and reference to the uh, Ray Fiennes character. So, uh, But I liked The English Patient. I didn't think it deserved Best Picture that year. Fargo came out the same year and probably deserved the Oscar for director and picture, not, not The English Patient. But uh, I did like it. Uh, I was always a fan of Ray Fiennes. And at that point, when uh, Talented Mr. Ripley came out, I was a fan of Matt Damon. I thought Goodwill Hunting was, uh, you know, deserved it deserved uh, the, you know the popularity. I wasn't a huge fan of Ben Affleck, and I back and forth on him. The you know these days, much better as a director than an actor. But um, so I was a, you know a semi fan of Minghella. I wanted to see what he was going to do next. I liked Matt Damon. I thought he was good in, in Rounders, which came out the year before this, and um, Goodwill Hunting. And I had seen Courage Under Fire. I thought he was good in that. Um, so at this point in you know my movie going life, I was a fan. So I wanted to see what he's going to do next, and uh, the trailer sold me. I thought, well, this looks interesting. I didn't think it looked like a Twilight Zone episode. I thought it looked like a thriller, like a Hitchcockian kind of thriller. And at that point, I was I watched, thirteen, Dave. Uh, yes, well, <laughs> everything looked like a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I, I probably had not seen a lot of good movies at thirteen either. But um, so I remember thinking this was okay in the movie theater, and then I. I think over the past 15 years, I've probably seen it a handful of times on, on cable. Uh-huh. And this was my first time seeing it all the way through, like in one sitting, I think, since the seeing it in the theater. And I thought, you know, I don't, I wouldn't consider this a classic, but I would consider this a very good movie. I mean, it did work for me, but I do agree with Mike that it does have pacing issues, which I think is something that, that is, that's something that plagued all of uh, Anthony Minghella's movies. Absolutely. I think yeah. English Patient had pacing issues. I think uh, a Cold Mountain, which I, I actually saw and also sort of enjoyed. I saw that in theaters. And, um, you know, that's a movie that was, like, way overpraised, though. I mean, I remember it, Cold Mountain came out at, and during Oscar season. It, it, um, it, it, Mike left the podcast. What are you doing, Mike? What are you doing? <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, was, I just didn't. I thought something was wrong. I was like, "Is, is something on fire?" <laughs> um, I'm sorry. You want to pause or no? No, no, no. no go go ahead. We, never, we never pause. We don't pause. We don't edit we don't this do thing. That. Right. It's unfiltered. Anyway, so I like. <laughs> I like the movie, um, and uh, you know I, I, have a, I have a lot more opinions on it now because when I when I tend, when I watch these movies since we've been doing this podcast, this is the fifth movie we watch. I tend to watch them and read about them at the same time, so uh, and try to pay closer attention to them than, than I probably did the first time. So um, you know, th- there's a lot more here than um, than I think I thought was there the first time. Uh, you know, on the surface, I think this is this is a con man Hitchcockian thriller. Uh, with pacing issues, but I think there's also there's more you can say about this movie. I think which is good because we have another 30 minutes to talk about it. Well, um, I do agree with you. I think there are pacing issues. I think that you could cut out 20 minutes of this movie without much of an issue. Uh, the ending, I was like, we're not done with this movie yet. Like it kept oh on going God. for a little bit yes. further than you thought. And yes. just, I mean, as I said, we're gonna spoil the movie. But in the middle of the movie, the oh mid- God, here we go. The middle in the midpoint of the movie, uh, Matt Damon's character kills Jude Law's character. Right. Um, and I was kind of, I totally forgotten. Like, I hadn't watched this in a really long time. The trailer doesn't give that away. If you watch the I trailer, think that, it doesn't I, give it away. I feel yeah. like that is a brilliant plot point. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. 
what is the movie going to be about now? Because yeah. he just killed the guy. Yeah, like, but I, I think I don't know. You didn't, you didn't see that coming that he would assume the identity of him at some point. He's getting but, his but signature. Killing, killing is another thing. Yeah, but, assuming I mean, and killing are two different gonna, things. I thought it gonna, was going to be like he would assume the identity, and somehow Jude Law would come back and try to reclaim his identity. Right, like right. I had, uh, I had a. Fe- I'm sorry, God, I had a feeling though something was going to go. Poorly, and you didn't know. Well, what, it is but. based on a novel, like a 1955 novel, I right, believe. Yeah. And there's a whole Patricia series. Patricia Highsmith of, is the author. There's a whole series. You're right. Sorry, five of them. Series right. about this character who's mm-hmm. kind of like this, you know, sociopath essentially. Mm-hmm. And you know, Mike, you recently watched um, American Psycho for the first time, <laughs> and I think this movie makes an interesting companion piece because I think both the lead characters are sociopaths in certain ways, right, and right. they're different kinds of sociopaths. I think they're. Well, that's what I wanted way. to talk about was sociopathy, sociopathy, how do you pronounce it? Sociopaths versus psychopaths, and there's a, there's actually distinct differences between the two. So what are um, they, Doctor yeah. Dave? <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Dave. Well, my dad is a psychologist, and oh god, uh, we, we, we could we could call him and 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 get further discussion, or maybe he'll comment on this show. He actually listens and enjoys it. Um, but one guy, <laughs> so, dad. <laughs> sociopaths uh, tend to operate are are able to operate in a more normal way in the world. So Ripley's able to fit in in a way to a point, right? So he's able to actually um, come off to people as if um, he's relatively normal. He's able to be more in control, even though he ends up losing control because would you that's say part of, that's he, part of the conflict here? Like he understands what a normal person should be doing. That's what a sociopath like he can sociopath he, manipulation he, versus he, psychopath he, is just insane. Like he can he can conceptualize what a normal person should do, so that's right. why he knows how to act right. that way. But he he's not that way inherently. Does right. that make sense? I, yes, I think both psychopaths and sociopaths lack empathy, but. Uh, one of them knows how to but, work, but with the, the psychopath is more like more out of out of control, unable to control his uh, or her, um, you know, uh, tendencies to do bad things and, and anti antisocial behavior, right? So, like the Columbine killer, uh, to the, the killers. I remember reading there's a book called Columbine, and, and that book uh, actually goes into de- in in depth into uh, what sociopaths and psychopaths actually are, and it's been a few years since I've read it, but I do remember um, that. Psychopaths. Uh, I can't remember the name of the kid. Eric was the. There was Eric and Dylan Klebold. Mm-hmm. I think those are the names of the, of the two killers. I think one of. The, I think the one that was um, an act, one with one of them was an actual psychopath, where he could actually fool everybody into thinking that he was normal, similar to a sociopath. But he went around, uh, you know, and obviously was a psychopath because he went out and. and killed yeah. people. So now Ripley tries to, he doesn't want everybody to know that he's killing everybody. He's trying, he doesn't, and doesn't necessarily, that's not his goal. His goal isn't necessarily to kill. His goal is to, um, you know, uh, what is his made, goal? That's yeah. a good question. What is his goal? Right. I think, it, well, in the regards to the movie, and specifically, yes. okay, well, I what think is the character's end goal? And the, I, I would argue that it's mutable. He doesn't really know. I think it boils down ultimately. I think he, like he's telling the guy Peter at the end of the movie, he says like he. I think he wants someone to love him. He wants to fit in. He it's wants acceptance. someone acceptance. At, yes, to, to the point, unconditionally. Acceptance. I want to tell you that I've killed multiple people, and I want you to be able to still tell me that you love me, even though you know about that. Which I think kind of takes another kind of lunatic to be able to do mm-hmm. that, perhaps. But um, I think that's like that's his motivation. I think with him and. Um, with Peter, he's looking for that. I think in some way he's looking for that with um, uh, Dickie as well. I think mm-hmm. he wants Dickie makes him feel well, that's the central relationship of this movie. And it's like uh, right. when I was thinking about it afterwards, I was thinking this is almost like a love story between a sociopath and a, and a narcissist. giant narcissist. Yes. I think narcissist mm-hmm. is the word for. for I would even argue Jude Law's character. that maybe it's a love story between like about himself. I think in some sure. way. Sure. I think. Uh, I just um, I think the character of Dickie is very interesting yeah, because yeah. he's such. 
a jerk. And we should like, mention that Jude Law was nominated for an Oscar. For deservedly so, because he's really good in this. He is, yeah. um, He plays, like you said, a narcissist. So we've turned the Jude Law tide, right? I mean, Jude Law <laughs> and Road to Perdition and weren't such a fan, it wasn't such a right, fan, right, liked right. him in this one? Yeah, no, okay. he Because he's playing a real character in this movie. I think yes. he's much more nuanced. Mm-hmm. The other one, he was a cartoon. He wasn't, you know. I just think the idea of, like, the guy who's been spoon-fed his whole life has no idea what the value of hard work is, and also the, the kind of person that only wants... Uh, people to like him in the immediate sense. When but he, he wants it. When he wants it. Right. Like, he, he wants people to be able to turn it off. When he's done with you, he's done, he's with, done with you. Him, and yeah. that's a very interesting concept. And uh, I think it's really fascinating because when you put that against someone like Tom Ripley's character who wants to always be loved, and when someone mm-hmm. cuts it off, you can you can see how that's building to the eventual climax of the relationship, which is him beating mm-hmm. him in the head with an oar. Right. So, I, want to read, I want to read one line from this movie that I wrote down that kind of sums up. And I'm not always a fan of lines that come off of like exposition but Gwyneth Paltrow uh, who plays Jude Law's uh, I guess fiance at the beginning slash the beginning girlfriend movie, slash girlfriend at the beginning of the movie who he's you know obviously he's not a faithful person he's kind of just this uh, all over the place traveling he's rich and he, he's a you know a narcissist and he he latches onto people and they latch onto him and, and if you've ever known people like him I mean, he, he comes across very I think realistically to me mm-hmm. but anyway Gwyneth Paltrow's on the boat with uh, Matt Damon, and he says, oh, the thing with Dickie is the yeah. sun shines on you, and that's glorious, and then he forgets you, and it's very cold. When you have his attention, you feel like you're the only person in the world, and that's why everyone loves him so much. And to me, that's the very definition of a narcissist. That's uh, someone who is very self-aggrandizing, you know, but will, will you know, kind of just shoo you away when um, when you're not needed, you know, when I've, they're done with you. Yeah, I don't know if it's... It, it, Definition of narcissist, but I think there's more to it. This line, I think, sums him up perfectly. I think, and you understand it because he is a very charismatic character in the movie. Everyone loves this guy, and he's he's like really you love him as you're watching the movie. You you know, he's like oh, he's a great guy. And then you just start seeing him get weird and like mm-hmm. turning on people. Um, mm-hmm. And it just his obsession with uh, materialism and yeah. um, and and his un, his lack of understanding that other people cannot have the kind of materialism that he's able to take for granted. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a constant thing about how he needs to get Tom a new jacket because he has a crappy corduroy jacket. Mm -hmm. And uh, just the fact that he's, as a character, would be obsessed with that or really call that out just kind of really highlights just that superficial nature. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. he's he's really into playing the saxophone, but he wants to learn how to play the drums. Right, right. He's not, he's not, the thing, another interesting thing is that he's kind of not that talented at what he does. You know, he's He's a very superficial character. Right, he's superficial. Jumps around. Where Matt Damon's character is, is very talented at what he does, which is, at the beginning, he admits it, lying forging signatures, yeah. uh, impersonating. So, by the way, was that weird to you guys that he just out and said and that Jula wasn't weirded out by the fact that, no, okay, so you that, lied about why, like there, that whole scene, I'm like, wait, he, and he was okay with the fact that in one you're talking fell about swoop. When he starts impersonating his father. Yeah. Played he, by James Ribhorn. Right. He, he <laughs> not only tells him, he's like, oh, I'm a forger, I'm, I'm an impersonator. He tells him three things and on top of it, he's like, and by the way, I'm impersonating your dad because I'm here to take you back to America. Like that wasn't, I thought Weird it was for an, him at I all. thought that like, was kind of interesting though because it was like it's almost being honest about your dishonesty. Like I'm here mm-hmm. for an ulterior motive. I'm going to lay my cards on the table right. and maybe and I want to be a part of this lifestyle that you have and maybe we can screw your dad a little bit more mm-hmm. by 
like going in on it together where we're never going to go back and I can live the high life with you here in Italy where it's always I think it was the character rolling the dice a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. he was like, you know, he could have gone, it could have gone either way. Jude Law could have freaked out and said, oh my God, you're crazy, which he eventually figures out. Or he could have <laughs> said, wow, you're crazy, but it's a good thing that I hate my dad. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So now, let me, um, let me ask, okay, kind of going back a little bit. So the very beginning of the movie, uh, uh, Dickie's father. Who is it played by again? He's a famous character. James actor. Redhorn. Who was in? Uh, He's like in everything. And sent up a woman. Just with, in a lot of stuff. Uh, lots of stuff. Uh, so when he sends him to Italy to retrieve his son, basically, as soon as Matt Damon's character gets off the plane or transport, he runs into Kate Blanchett's character, and he immediately assumes the identity of mm-hmm. uh, Dickie Greenleaf. Now, why? Why? Why there? I didn't quite understand that. Exactly. At I all. mean, that's the kind of thing. I think what there's issues there, like. If he, and, but yeah, but at the same time, that, I think he was all, always planning on doing it because there's that one scene in the beginning when he gets to the beach and he's looking at him from afar with the, the, the binoculars and he's mm-hmm. practicing his Italian. And what he says, he, he learns the name of the boat and then he says, he looks at the guy and says, this is my face. So I don't know if that's just like a coincidence, like, oh, he just happened to say that line. But so I, guess I took that po- as like he's looking at him and saying, this is the guy. I'm studying him because I'm going to become this guy at some point. So you were saying the overarching motive was clear from the beginning. He always wanted to I assume the identity See, of I, I Dickie Greenleaf. I don't know. I don't know. I wish they made that clear. I don't I, know. I, oh, I, think that, I think they are being fairly clear. I'm saying, I, I think what they're saying is that he's a, a very confused character. He's, you know, he, he, I think he feels genuine uh, emotion and love. I think he's actually... You know, or maybe he doesn't really understand what love is. I, I guess his version of love, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he, he it more like attachment, I guess, to mm-hmm. uh, to certain characters. Like he become he, maybe he's in love with this other guy at the end of the movie, maybe, Peter yeah. at the end of the movie. But he's, you know, um, I mean, it, it's almost like a study of of extreme fans, right? Have you ever have you ever known anybody that hero that latches on the yeah. hero worship? Yeah. You know, someone yeah. who latches on to someone so much that you know they almost want to become them. Like their posters of them are all over their bedroom. And wall actually, you know, and, there's a big. Um, uh, a lot of similarities in this movie and uh, Assassination of Jesse James. Have you guys seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a That's good, good movie. Yeah. And there's the same yeah. strange, like, worship between mm-hmm. the, you know, between James Ford and Jesse James. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, almost, like, bordering on, like, like is he in love with this guy? Is he mm-hmm. want to, like, you know, it, it was a very similar parallel, parallel for me, I see, Definitely. between those That's two good, yeah. good comparison. When going to discussion about, you're talking about Tom Ripley's ability to love, I feel like he... Is in at the end of the movie. He's in love with the concept of Peter's love for yes, him, yes. but he doesn't love the person. He loves that someone loves him, which yep. I think is right. Yep. He which, picks his he picks uh, his personal safety and ability to continue on his uh, you know his charade. Obviously, he has to kill the guy at the end. But I was like, which I think is a really well cool shot death sequence. I think it's really neat. Right, you oh, never yes. see you the guy. I think it's it. phenomenal. I remember yeah. seeing the death scene in my head, and then. I forgot that they actually don't show him. It's That's just the, the, the so audio. cool. It's all audio, and then the camera just rotates as the boat's going back and forth. Right, and the I door think, is closed, and, the and the door he's is kind of right. like locked in the basement or whatever. I mm-hmm. thought that was really yeah. neat. Um, yeah. But talking about, I I mean, I don't know for sure. I think he, Dave touches upon the fact that he's just a complicated character, so it's hard to define motivations. But I'd argue that Tom Ripley doesn't understand or doesn't um, – doesn't realize that he can become Dickie Greenleaf until the guy at the hotel mistakes them. Because yeah, he's, he's like, I, Mr. Greenleaf? And he's like, oh, wait a minute. I can, people think we look the same. I can totally pull this off. And that's the thing. I feel like if that was the moment where he realizes it, I think there was everything else before that. Like, because at the moment, I see the same thing. He, he says, like, oh, no, I'm not. He says no at first. And they said, yes. So he just realized it at that point. So if he just realizes it then, everything else up to that point was... And, That's uh, what I'm saying. I don't think right. there was a. I don't think they, they need knew. him. They need him to 
just from a plot perspective, they need for him to introduce himself as Dickie Greenleaf to Kate Blanchett's character. They could have done it differently. They could but, have, maybe she maybe he had a bag from the father and the name was on the bag and she looks at the bag and says, "Oh, is this you know? Yeah, are you point. are you Dickie Greenleaf?" And he could just say like, "Ah, uh, yeah, sure," because he doesn't want to reveal. Who, I don't know. I, I yeah, there was a lot of things I just don't think. I don't think the writing was great. Like, well, it does kind of change. I mean, that the point of the movie where he kills Jude Law, it becomes the movie at first is kind of this like almost romantic. Um, friendship drama I don't know I don't know what, what you would want to call the first part of the movie it's almost like a, a tourism video of Italy in a way with you know <laughs> introducing you to this character that you're not quite sure how to get a handle on and then it becomes this cat and mouse game for the second half yeah. of the movie and maybe if that cat and mouse aspect was there for the first half of it you know maybe it maybe it would have felt a little tighter see I felt like I, yeah I would have I was actually more interested in the first half of the movie the second half of the movie you said it became that's where I lost second. you yeah well none of the loss it just it became a different movie and then it became this like I was swinging back and forth between oh my god they're gonna catch him no he's gonna get away with it oh my god mm-hmm. they're gonna catch him. and it was just like I don't I, I could have shortened think, that part. I think the opposite actually I, I thought it got a lot more interesting when it becomes this movie about wait is he gonna get caught or not because every time it's weird because you know that Tom Ripley's an evil character, but as a viewer, you're like, oh, I don't want him to get caught. Like, in my head, oh, I was I don't know about that. I, well, I, never, <laughs> well, I kind of felt the same way as Ivan. Like, I was I like, mean, for the most part. well, I mean, maybe a better argument is that every time he was in, like, he almost got caught, I would tense up, mm-hmm. which means I was yes. somehow invested yeah, okay, that the trade yeah. would stay. Uh, yeah. Like, when, um, when uh, what's Philip the name? Seymour Hoffman. What's his name? Is that character? Freddie. Freddie. Freddy. Oh, when my Freddy God. Visibus, that, that's a very tense scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can inc- we talk about how genius that guy is, by the yeah. way? Like, that whole scene well, where he's playing the, the piano key and his face yes. and the way. Oh, uh, yeah. Huh? You're like Tommy. Oh, wait, no. Hey, Peeping Tommy. Peeping Tommy. Oh, no, that was on the yeah. boat. How's the, how's the Peeping Tommy? Tom? Oh, just everything. How's the Peeping? <laughs> how's the Peeping Tommy, boy? And he keeps saying it. How's, yeah. how's the Peeping? Tommy, 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 Yeah, the piano, when he's just like kind of doing this lilting hand motion, he's like hitting the key over and over again. Just like knowing, hey, you should stop touching that piano. Yeah. Please stop touching that piano. Yeah, he's got a sense. He's got a sense of. He's a guy who's maybe more in touch with the world and himself than than Jude Law's character is. Maybe he's less. the yes. best. He can read character better than anyone because oh, yeah. he immediately knows that Tom is not all. There's something wrong with Tom. Right. Immediately knows mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, where Marge, both Marge and. I would argue that Dickie is so much of a narcissist he can't tell the difference anyway. Marge but is Gwyneth Paltrow's character. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, yes. I apologize, yeah. but. Um, she doesn't realize it until much later in the movie, which is, mm. it takes her a Too long time to get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right, and that's maybe one of the flaws of the movie for me was how she ends up figuring it out. There's a scene at the end of the movie where Matt Damon kind of, there's a li- it becomes a little too... Um, uh, convenient? Conven- uh, too, uh, I don't know what the word is, where the scene where he's in the white bathrobe and he's like, he has a knife in his pocket and he's cutting his leg, obviously, and the blood's coming out. There's like the one red spot on, on mm. him. And Gwyneth Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow kind of knows that, you know, this is, you know, that, some, that he had something to do with everything that's gone on. Um, to me, that came off as a little, you know, over the top. I felt like, it, it, you know, not, you know, this was kind of an over the top movie as it approached the end anyway, but, um, I felt like that scene didn't really work for me. I thought there needed to be more for Gwyneth Paltrow to, to if, if she was going to figure out that he was possibly guilty. Those rings, probably, though, they, I thought were yeah. set up very well. And I th- and I think it's one of those things. I think she had always maybe unconsciously suspected it, and then at that point, that just kind of like, like women's intuition. I think she just she didn't have any evidence. She just was convicted with this. Like it was mm-hmm. you. You had to have done it. Everything is somehow mm-hmm. making sense to me. Um, well, she was still kind of. Uh, Reeling from this, uh, you know, she had been seeing this, and she was in love, and she was reeling from this yeah. the disappearance and apparent, you know, breakup. She had no idea what happened to Jude Law's character, so you know, she's probably um, 
you know, just finding her footing at that point, and then she maybe starts to see whatever Philip Seymour Hoffman had seen and um, and Matt Damon. And yeah, that scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the hotel room, where you know we should we should say that you know it starts off, you know, it's going to be tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Damon at that point is pretending to be Jude Law in the movie, and uh, it's kind of you, you know he has to figure out he has to figure out like what am I going to do to to make uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman believe that I'm still Tom Ripley. But uh, the other people who think I'm, I'm Dickie Greenleaf, still Gr- Dickie Greenleaf, and then have him leave and then, you know, stay safe and keep going. And I think he knows that there's going to be no way out of it. And they kind of do a lot of foreshadowing with that statue head, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. he ends up killing F- Philip Seymour Hoffman with a statue. Head. Definitely all the objects in the movie are um, not subtle in the way they're used. The rings, the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the statue head, like anything that's going to be of significant, the typewriter, yeah. the fact that Dickie only types his letters, mm-hmm. like all that kind of stuff. It's definitely not subtle, but I totally kind of bought into it as a thriller. As a larger movie, though, um, I wonder, and I could, ask, I could ask this question about a movie like American Psycho, are we supposed to care about Tom Ripley? Like, do we care about his demise? Do, do we, are we supposed to? I, I, think, I, I think, think do we is the question, because we're obviously always well, supposed to care, but... Are, well, are we supposed to, or are we just kind of supposed to watch this kind of crazy person, you know? No, I, I would say, I mean, yeah, I think they, they go through great lengths to make him sympathetic like you see the other side of him that his whole monologue with Peter where he talks about like you know you want to open the door to somebody and have them see everything you've done and still I I think we are supposed to feel sympathy for him I think especially in some way you do where he's murdering the guy and and you hear him crying and he doesn't want to murder his 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 lover and and uh, I think that Jeff definitely is engendering some kind of sympathy Mm -hmm. for him Mm-hmm. Um, and even the final shot is about how he's kind of caught in his own prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's the door shuts and he's just sitting on the bed alone. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't get caught, but you know, life from him from here on out is not going to be but pleasant if it has ever at, at all. I guess. You know? I mean, I know that you might probably didn't find sympathy for him. I guess the only sympathy, the reason I f- felt somewhat sympathetic to him as a character, is there's something very touching about a guy who's obviously very smart, obviously very talented, and he'll never have the same opportunities as someone like Dickie Greenleaf who just takes that totally for granted. Mm-hmm. And like this idea, he's all, like, because I'm guessing at the beginning he's established as being poor, mm-hmm. being almost, you know, basically not. He's got multiple jobs. He's, yeah, exactly. He's not a, he's not, he's not in a good place in life. And it's just because he just wasn't given a, he doesn't have the shot. You know, he wasn't ever given a shot. So he's always going to be undermined by society just by his class. So it's almost like an argument about that. And maybe that's what defines why he becomes a psychopath. I don't know. It's all about capitalism. Actually, (laughs) no, no, no. I think, um, and actually this is, this might open it up to another discussion I want to have. Like I, it takes place in 1950s. Is that right? I, I think, think so. Yeah. I think every movie we've watched so far takes place. Well, no. Place. Remember, we moved up. It was the 30s for Miller's Crossing. 40s okay, for True, 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 true. Yeah. And it was 20s yeah. for um, Road to Perdition. So we're just going yeah. up in the decades. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then Blade Runner was like 1960. Was like, right? Yeah, it was like 1880, I think. <laughs> right, right. So, okay. So here's the question. I'm wondering, yeah, why is he this way? And I was wondering, okay, 1950s. Uh, first of all, question one. Do you think he is, in fact, homosexual, or do you think he is just looking for any affection and he just latches onto this guy? I do think he is, in fact, homosexual. I do agree with that And as I well. think that could be maybe the reason why he is playing somebody else, because he's had to hide who he is at the time. That's an interesting mm-hmm. point. That's so I feel really like I wonder if that's point. maybe his motivation, not necessarily a clash struggle, more of him had a very deep, basic person level, doesn't know who he is, or is afraid of who he is, or doesn't want the world to know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually, as, as an add-on question, do you think Jude Law is homosexual? No. No. Definitely okay. no. There's a scene in the bathroom, right, where basically he's kind of laying the cards on the table. He might if I hop in the tub with you. 
And he doesn't seem to be as freaked out. And I think it's I think I think that's a power kind of thing with Jude Law. I, and I don't think that's a, I don't think that's too, a sexual yeah. thing. I think that's a, like I'm so comfortable around anybody. And yeah, check it out. But he gets out of my giant whatever. Sorry, <laughs> chessboard, <laughs> chessboard, schlong. <laughs> schlong. Ah, there it is. <laughs> nice work, Ivan. So I mean, but yeah, because he gets out of the tub and like. He's not, I mean, even like, you know, he's standing there, like, basically sitting there naked, and he sees him looking at him, and he's kind of just, like, shoes him away, almost playfully. So, I, I think that can necessarily go back to the vanity portion of it. He just likes the fact that he's like, hey, everyone, everyone yes. wants me. Look right. at this. Yeah. I'm a king. I, yeah. I think definitely. I'd, okay. Yeah, I, I do think that, I think it's an interesting perspective about the homosexuality, because he basically has always been playing someone else, if you really think right. about it, which is right. really interesting. Because there's a right. line that Peter says when they're in the, uh, the police, uh, in the precinct, and he says something like, uh, legally, there are no homosexuals in, in Italy or something right, like right, that. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say yes. I mean, in the movie, I think he's, at the very least, bisexual. I mean, I think there's he's obviously in love with this... Uh, I think he's obviously attracted to, to men in this movie. I think, I think mm-hmm. that's... Uh, that's pretty clear it's not like you have to dig dig deep in this movie right. to figure that out you know um, but they you know they never do get to any scenes they never show him kissing any any guys it's always cuddling or hand holding or kind of like shoulder grabbing it's uh you know they never get to the point where they're so explicit with it right, for whatever right. reason and i think maybe they're implying that he's not completely sure of himself uh, and i know that in the novel from what i read i haven't read the the, the novel but i think that he was uh, not necessarily just Almost like plain homosexual. I think that he was right. Was, right. was uh, bisexual or or because there are moments of genuine, like where he is genuine, and I think mm-hmm. for me it was clear, like when he's talking mm-hmm. to him on the boat, and mm-hmm. he, he goes into that that rage where he's like, "What are you doing?" Like right. I think he does really think right. that. Yeah, um, Matt, Matt Damon plays him as as I think someone who uh, who who loves men. I mean, he's in, I think yeah. he plays him as like I'm. You know, you can see a distinct difference in his character. Um, when he's, you know, become when he, it's almost like this superpower, this talent he has of impersonating other people and, or suddenly changing his demeanor. I don't know if you noticed, but he also parts his hair differently. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. You know, there's well, a scene in the mirror where he like, like is brushing his hair. I didn't quite know what he was doing when I originally saw it, but I noticed this time that when he's, when he's playing Dickie, he's got his hair parted one way and he's right. got, you know, other, he walks other. a different way, he acts a different way. And when he's himself, he's got his hair parted, you know, whatever, and he's more gangly and awkward. They as the even, glasses like Clark Kent. They even reference Clark Kent in the movie when yeah, uh, yeah. Dick Greenleaf, Greenleaf puts on Tom's glasses. He's like Clark Kent, Superman. So they uh, even directly put it in the movie, yeah. like the whole idea that when he is Dickie Greenleaf, he's Superman. And when he's Tom Ripley, he's the Clark Kent. He's the right. nerdy... He's a nerdy guy, and then he can automatically turn into the suave, right. cool guy. So I think that's pretty cool. And so did you guys think Matt Damon was good in the role, I should say? I mean, I, I would say I, I think he did a decent job. I initially thought the roles were going to be reversed. I thought that he was the victim. He was the young heir, and I mm-hmm. thought that Tom Ripley was the um, uh, sociopath, manipulative sociopath. And I'm like, wait, he's the town. He's the, the antagonist? How is mm-hmm. that going to work? I think he did a decent Wait, enough mean, job. Wait, you mean you thought Dicky would be the anti? Uh, I thought Jude Law was going to be Ripley. In- yeah, okay. and he and I thought he was going to be a victim. He's so young in the movie, and I think mm-hmm. that's maybe my biggest issue is he's too boyish for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy he could be that cunning while looking so. I mean, maybe that's just that says something about me. Maybe mm-hmm. that like you know appearances can be deceiving, all that stuff. I but think I, he's I, really good in this. Yeah, like I, I think there's something about the boyishness that almost makes it almost more interesting because he doesn't quite. I don't know. There's something about the not like he's he's at times he's in, like you're saying it's it's confusing because at times he's incredibly in control and other times he's completely naive. Mm. And I think both of those is interesting. But you know what I'll say? I, I think 
a movie like Miller's Crossing, right, where we talked about how, um, you know, in that movie, uh, Gabriel Byrne's character isn't always in control of the situation. But you know, for me, there was no doubt when he was in control and when he wasn't. I knew, okay, he knows what he's doing right now. Right now, he's in trouble. In this movie, it wasn't as clear to me, and I feel like that was, for me, a problem with the storytelling. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dave? Did you like yeah, his- I mean, well, I think you know, I, I think his performance is better as as the fake Dickie Greenleaf, personally. I think because I think Matt Damon's a naturally uh, comes off as a naturally charismatic person on television. I think that he's, I think that he works better. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of Goodwill Hunting when you know he was nominated for Best Actor for that movie, and mm-hmm. and he and going back and watching that now, I still think he was very good. I think he kind of slips right into that charismatic kind of you know a character that has to you know be very extroverted and kind of larger than life kind of kind of guy. So I think that you know he always to me comes. I always enjoy his performances that are you know not some actors have to like uh, you know. They're more subtle with their. I don't want to say he's not subtle. They're more contained, right? Matt Damon's, in my opinion, has been better when his performances have been not as contained. Although in the Bourne movies, I think he does a pretty decent job of, of, of a contained kind of character. And I was thinking about the way his his his, his uh, character moves in this movie. If you watch that scene on the beach where he kind of runs and he's got the weird green under uh, green swimsuit on <laughs> and, you know, and, he, and he's yeah. like pale and, and freckly and it's you know he's still got like muscles from from his previous movies or something but he still looks kind of gangly and awkward somehow. yeah he did yeah he, it was strange he was muscular but he looked yeah. awkward somehow right. anyway yeah. which is interesting yeah. and, and, he, and his run to the beach like I'm thinking of, of the Bourne <laughs> movies I mean he's got such a we- in this movie he's got such a weird kind of way of walking and running but in the Bourne movies he's such a badass you know when yeah. he's like running and fighting and what stuff. was the time difference between the two movies when, when did uh, this Bourne was movie, three or four years before the identity maybe two years before wow, it was like 2001 I, or two was identity there was such a big difference I loved the Bourne movies I thought he mm-hmm. was fantastic and he right. seems so much more mature and mm-hmm. stronger and right. like in those Born Identity right. is 2002 okay so wow, yeah that's what three years three years yeah wow. and well I mean so he was he was definitely good in this movie. I just enjoyed parts of his performance more than you know. I think you know at this point he was a big star. He had just become a big star, and I think maybe I mean I, I you know this um, is going to be a dumb question, but um, were his teeth enlarged in this movie? <laughs> For, like, wait, no, no, no. <laughs> the the question years, wasn't dumb. The word enlarged. I think was enlarged. <laughs> enlarged. Enlarged. <laughs> is Matt Dame are Matt Damon's teeth this big? Because they're huge in this movie. You didn't I don't know. Notice. It's a good question. You didn't notice his teeth? I didn't notice his teeth. I noticed his teeth. Tell me, oh those teeth are gigantic. God. His teeth are... He's got a kind of a funny smile. It's almost like an upside-down grin. That his has. chin looked huge to me. Did he, they didn't enlarge in his chin? No, I don't think they enlarged I feel like he... It was, he it was pointier back then. Somehow. I have a theory that he's wearing fake teeth in the movie. <laughs> I could be wrong. It's possible. Or maybe he had veneers. Maybe. I mean, those things then. are Who like knows? chiclets. They're huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty... I mean, I remember like... I think Goodwill Hunting. He also had a similar. He kind of smiled a lot in that movie, and I think I was, you know, he was like a, smiling and pretending to be okay was a big part of that character. Speaking um, of fake things, did he? Was he? Anytime he did an impression, did he do a ADR? Um, yeah, I was wondering that too. It it's got to be right. There were so many lip syncs in this movie. I felt like they really, just, I didn't actually know when he does the father's voice. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not. I don't think that's him speaking. I think no, it was definitely him speaking. That was definitely him speaking. Yeah. It had to have been. Actually, I mean, he's really isn't he really good at imp- yeah? He's done Matthew McConaughey impersonations. Or, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think but he is pretty good at that. Actually, yeah. The one thing I'll say about this movie that um, is that I, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't end up making more. I guess it wasn't a huge financial financial success. I would have liked to see this same character and probably same actor 
maybe with different a different director and a different story because I know there were more stories to be told with with Ripley. Yeah, in the book, I looked into the book. Actually, they took out all of the minutia of the character flaws, but him being homosexual was much more straightforward mm-hmm. thriller kind of movie where he was just trying to take the identity of somebody. And he actually even said he liked the book better than the movie. He said he would love to Matt Damon personally. Said right, he would yeah. love to remake it. Same cast, right. different story. Right. So it might have been Ouch. interesting to see. You know, a follow-up. I mean, there was there there were more Ripley movies. There were, and, and we should also mention that this was a actually um, this this story was uh, made as a Wait, French movie a, called were, Purple Noon. Oh, there were other Ripley movies. You said uh, well, Purple well, Noon. This movie, the, this particular story, was made in the early '60s as a movie called Purple Noon, oh, yeah. uh, which I've never seen. And um, and then John Malkovich played the same character in a in a. In a I, th- I don't. I think it was Ripley's Game was the name of the movie, and that was maybe a few years, two, three, four years later after this movie came out was when that movie was made. I think it might have been the really lead. as a companion yeah. to like the one from the '60s. It was, a, it was like a sequel to the '60s movie. Oh, it was. Okay. Oh, I'm asking. Oh, you I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But I think it was. I think it was just the straight to DVD sequel. <laughs> I think it was just an isolated, not connected to the Damon Matt Damon version. Um, oh, it came it, out uh, after this. After Matt this Damon. One, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So Ripley, you know, it's Ripley as like an older character. Uh, and, mm. and so we, you know, you we know from from history of the novels that this is a character that does live and get away with it at the end of this movie because he continues this life of of conning and and um, you know living living life as a as a you know identity thief mm. <laughs> I suppose mm. you know it's too bad he wouldn't be alive in, in the modern day and age because this you know there's identity thieves are uh, you know a dime a dozen these days so, so I guess yeah. coming around. Full circle, and I guess we kind of know our opinions, but uh, I mean, my, my thoughts is I think more people should see this movie. I feel like it's got, I think you could talk, there's a lot to talk about in this movie, mm-hmm. which maybe mm-hmm. is why I like it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, it's not, I, I'm going on a tangent a little bit, but I saw Captain Phillips this past week, the, you know, the new Tom Hanks movie, movie. which was fine. Like, it was good, but like, I, there's nothing really to talk about that movie. Like, they tell the story mm-hmm. and it's, it's done. Like, yeah. that, that happened. Like, I don't feel yeah. like there's a lot of, like, I like movies where I can go back and, we can debate whether or not what were motivations in certain scenes or what was Tom Ripley's character after initially. So, um, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it for that. I think it looks really good. But I do agree about the pacing issues. I think that I have I think every movie's too long. So, like this movie, <laughs> oh. like I think you could cut like 20 minutes easily out of this thing. Uh, that's just my opinion. But anyway, what do you guys think? Yeah, recommended? I, I always, I, I, the way I look at this is I always say, like, if I want it on my shelf to brag about that I've seen and that I own, <laughs> that's how I define whether or not I really like the movie. You like, would like, hide this movie behind <laughs> other movies on your shelf? <laughs> Go behind the DVDs. <laughs> no, I mean, I like, like, I, like um, Road to Perdition is something I would definitely like to put on the show. I, 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 this, eh, it's we cool all, to we, see. We all just simultaneously <laughs> looked at your DVD collection. Right. tiny, tiny <laughs> shelf of DVDs. Like, In tandem, <laughs> both heads turned at the same time. Like, is it on there? I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it there. Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's in the Matt Damon section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. Um, so it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't particularly love it. It's, a, I, I really enjoyed seeing it and talking about it and thinking about it, but I don't know if I'd recommend it. Okay, I Sorry, would recommend. Uh, yeah, well, I, so we're gonna do a two out of three here. I mean, I would recommend it. Um, I would say that I don't think it's the kind of movie that I need to revisit a lot, or even uh, though you've seen it forty, even times. though I've seen, no, you've wow. seen it more than like you're like I saw it once, <laughs> then I saw it a couple more times, and then like twenty times. It it's the kind of movie that it comes on cable, and maybe I'll watch a little bit. Yeah, of it. but I feel like it's not the that. kind of movie like oh. Minority reports on. I can't wait to see that cool scene. Like it's like, let's watch this dark thriller about a uh, psychopath. Well, yeah, I mean, Dave can relate. Well, I can relate. Mean, to. I could again. It's. I know it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, so I, it, you know, I could be 
inventing that. It's possible that I just rented it once after it came out just to see it again and then haven't seen it in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember. Uh, but it is a movie I know I had seen more than once. Caught in your own web of life. <laughs> <laughs> stick to the story, Dave. Just stick to your story. It's just not- <laughs> I'm going to part my hair the other way now. <laughs> Um, so you give it the recommend? <laughs> I give it the recommend. I think that if you're going to, you know, I don't think it's a classic. I think that in the, in the uh, I think maybe there is a genre that we can call Hitchcockian thrillers. And when I say Hitchcockian, I'm obviously referring to Alfred Hitchcock and the kinds of movies he made like Strangers on a Train and uh, The 39 Steps. Which and, I've actually never seen Strangers on a Train. And, so and a very good movie. And, and I was thinking of actually Rope. Have you ever seen Rope? Yeah, that's like the one that's like four takes, that movie. Right, right. There's a movie called Rope that he made that's you like... seen that? What do you, do you think yeah, I've seen the movie We should do that one. That's okay. a good one to do. Yeah. It might be a good one to do, actually. It's, it's cool because it's literally four takes. How long is it? Feature length film, and they like basically God. every time they run out of a canister of film, they make like a they like figure out a way to transition with it looking seamless. Like they'll oh, go into like man. someone's back, and then it will come out. That so. sounds exhausting. Yeah. I don't know how you do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I mean it's Hitchcock. I mean at yeah. that point he had been I think he had started making movies in the early 30s, and and this was in the 50s, and and his you know a lot of times he made movies that you know there was like a gimmick, and the gimmick in this movie was that it was all going to be one like it was one shot. So and it was about these two characters, one of them who's kind of like this they, they end up murdering somebody and you find out they had murdered somebody and the whole movie is about them covering it up basically at the dinner party mm. oh isn't they murder each other's no that was Strangers on a Train that's Strangers oh, on a Train that's what we were talking about yeah. sorry guys yeah. ADD anyway can't, so as far as Hitchcockian up. kind of movies go I'd say this is one of the better ones one of the best ones maybe I mean there's I wrote down a few other ones that we could recommend if if well, people what, are we, what do we got? Well, there's a movie called Dead Again that Kenneth Branagh made. Never saw it. Never saw it. All right, all right, movie all right. followed, uh, Did you see that movie? No, 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 no. I was no, just keep going. It looked, it looked, it. The poster 20 years ago made it look like a sequel to Ghost. It came out the year after. It was a pottery wheel. And it's wheel. like, he's dead again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like a thriller with uh, Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, and Andy Garcia. It's pretty good. Uh, there's a Con Farrell movie called Phone Booth. Seen it. Uh, Trans-Siberian, which is a movie with uh, Emily Mortimer and um, I forget who else. Which was not a huge. That's movie, not but smell a sense of snow. Isn't that another one like no, that? No, 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 no. It's but it is a it, well Trans Siberian. It does take place in this in Siberia. Okay. On Siberian Railroad. Across also a good one. Match Point, which is probably a little oh, more. Oh yeah, Match well-known. Point's actually a really good companion piece right, for this. That's right. an interesting. A Woody one. Allen movie with uh, with uh, also Emily Mortimer actually I think is in it. Um, and, uh, and Jonathan uh, Rhys Davies. Jonathan Rhys Davies. Yeah, and and I'm trying to Scarlett Johansson obviously. Scarjo. Scar and then Joe. maybe Cape Fear, which was a remake of a. 60s movie so there's a lot of movies where it's like you know you're not necessarily supposed to sympathize with maybe even anybody you're supposed it's it's just almost like a you know you're interested in the plot right Mm. it's a plot driven movie and this was definitely a plot driven movie I would say but with a lot of interesting character aspects which I guess is why I like it so much but Yeah. yeah So, um, anything final thoughts before we close out, put this podcast to bed? Did anybody recognize the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, Jack Davenport plays <laughs> yeah. the, uh, it really, it's funny. That's Norrington. where I knew him from. <laughs> it, God, I was wild. Like, I know this guy it from really somewhere. Bo- it really bothered me because I realized at that point that Jack Davenport is the poor man's Clive Owen. Or maybe Clive <laughs> Owen is the poor man's Jack Davenport. Because they looked, he actually, you know, I thought he was, uh, the, um, Chris Evans. Like, I'm like, is that Chris Evans? What is he doing? What? Captain America? Yeah, we're talking he about the same have, guy. We're talking about Peter, right? Yeah, Captain Peter America like, would have been like. Eight. I know that's why yeah. I knew it wasn't him, but I'm sitting, like, it looks like I couldn't place where the heck I saw him, and yeah, there you go. That's where it was. Yeah, so I uh, it was really bothering me when I was watching it. I actually I tend to not like do other things when I'm watching the movie, but I actually pulled out the iPad to look up who it was. It was bothering me so much because <laughs> I recognized uh, I couldn't put my finger on. it. I was like, oh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And we should mention that the score was good. We we typically mention scores. 
and I should just say that this one was nominated for an Oscar. Um, yeah, it was quite good. Who, who uh, wrote, actually who wrote it, but it was pretty good. Reminded me of Bernard Herrmann's scores, maybe a little, you know, it was a little bit jazzy, a little bit classical, kind of, which kind of fits the tone of the movie, you know. Mm. Um, and I, I did like a lot of the, the way Mingela shot the movie. I mean, I think that's one of his strengths is that he, you know, even Cold Mountain and uh, um, an English Patient are movies that look really good. Um, you know, they feel very epic. He's very good at like bringing scope to to a movie. So, and making Italy look like a place you, I mean, most people would want to visit Rome and Venice anyway. I think, mm-hmm. but you know, he's very good at at, at, at get at the details and textures of of uh, places and, and yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, like you're saying, it did at points it looks like a bit of a travelogue of mm-hmm. sailing and going mm-hmm. to all these cool cities and right. shopping. Italy and paid a lot of money to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. I think. Like, we're not getting that many tourists these days. And they make this movie make this movie and also Kate Blanchett was in this movie and, and uh, she's great and she's always great and yeah. uh, this was right at the beginning of her kind of break I think she had been in the movie Elizabeth um, this is like the time when everyone was breaking Matt Damon right. was breaking Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman was breaking Kate yeah. Blanchett um, mm-hmm. even this is basically Jude this was one of Jude Law's first major roles I feel like yeah. so uh, it was a basically huge cast which is mm-hmm. pretty impressive and uh, did anyone see Son of a Woman? Did you guys see Son of a Woman? Yeah, the, the, Al- <laughs> the, the Al Pacino, Pacino movie. Uh, movie. Yeah. Right, and you remember Philip Seymour re- Hoffman in that movie? No, I don't. I actually really like that movie. Yeah, I, I kind of like that movie. That's another movie that's really that, long. Mike? Of course. Of course. Oh, I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> How I mean, could I have not ever I, seen that movie? Oh, I don't know. I mean, well, you didn't see uh, <laughs> Mike, who, Mike who Mike Roger Rabbit. No, I haven't mm-hmm. seen it. As, uh, that's a good one to do, too. The only issue, that movie's like three hours long, so. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's an overlong movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman playing another spoiled rich guy and I felt like his character in this movie was like if that character had grown up I mean well, obviously he was going to grow up uh, this was like him oh. playing the grown up 30-ish version of that he plays a, a teenager and a sin of a woman who's like a spoiled rich kid and, and Chris O'Donnell plays this guy who gets blamed for something that Phil Seymour Hoffman does and anyway like anyway it. that's another movie so um, <laughs> next week will be next week I think we've decided we're going to do the never ending story yeah. um, which is a movie that I have never seen all the way through um, yet I have seen never ending story 2 and 3 so <laughs> it's going to so be inter- so it's my job to come up with whatever the tenuous connection between this movie and that movie is yes um, dra- there's dragons in both something of them. to do with <laughs> right, misunderstanding childhood I don't know there's <laughs> oh man there's like laser beam sphinxes in both right so is that streaming or not? Let's not, find I, out. I, I, well, I don't know. Let's actually. find out. Let's go to. Have you guys heard of the sub uh, website called Can I Stream It? Yes. It's a website basically where you can type in any movie and they tell you where. Nobody you can watch go to it. that site. That, that is highly illegal. So, Ivan, this is no, not, no, 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 no. Like, not the podcast for that. I'm sorry. They'll just, tell you if it's like streaming on Netflix. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's not or like or other sites. No, they don't do. It's, it's all legal. It's Hulu, Android, Amazon Video. Neverending Story is available now streaming on nothing. Okay. So, <laughs> oh. Uh, we have can to, you rent it on Amazon Video? Is that? Uh, that's what I do you can, nowadays. You can, uh, sorry, you can rent it on YouTube for two, two bucks. YouTube? What? Yeah. Y- wow. Okay. They're doing that now. Good for them. Uh, <laughs> you can rent it on YouTube. See, <laughs> if you would take part in the Can I Stream It, they'll tell you where you can rent it. Uh, and iTunes as well. So. Okay. And uh, you can also get an old-fashioned DVD via Netflix subscription. Mm-hmm. So who has that anymore? I think at one point I actually had this movie on VHS. So I actually, I actually keep the DVDs just because it's so liberating to know that I can watch any, like I can get any movie potentially. Which is oh, you keep the DVD subscription, not the actual DVDs themselves. Oh no, okay, yeah, I'm not insane. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so anyway, closing this out. Uh, if you want to uh, check us out on the web, we are at reviewedpodcast.com. 
facebook.com slash reviewed podcast. I'm Ivan Kander. Um, Where can we find more of your work? Oh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> uh, I write for a website called shortoftheweek.com, and my personal website is lucky9studios.com. Uh, that's the number nine, studios.com. And my Twitter is at Ivan Kander. Mike, what about you? I'm, I don't know. You can't find me at all. I'm off the grid. I'm, <laughs> I live on a farm. I don't know what you... <laughs> He's assumed another identity. <laughs> um, at Mike Mirandi on Twitter, which is M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-D-I, and uh, MikeMirandi.com. And I'm Dave Glanz, and you can find me at Dave Glanz, G-L-E-N-Z, and at DaveGlanzProductions.com. There we go. So we will see you uh, next time for the never-ending story. Smash my face into the mic. All right, Dave, you go. Dave, you go. You go, Dave. Dave. Hello, gentlemen. I can see the levels from here, and they look green. (laughs)